I have appreciated all of you who have nominated persons for our vision team. As you will remember, several weeks ago, uh, we announced that we were forming this team and you were invited to make nominations, and you have done so. We received about 40 uh, nominations so far, and I will be meeting with that group, sending letters to that group, and meeting with them in the very near future, and uh, talking about how that process will go forward. If you have not nominated someone and you want to do that, please do that today. Uh, we had set today as the deadline for those nominations. So uh, you can do that by seeing me personally. And if you see me personally, please write the, name, the person's name on a piece of paper and give it to me. Or if you want to email me, my email address is there in the bulletin. And I will appreciate that. Uh, the purpose of the vision team is to help us clarify where it is that God is calling us as a congregation. Uh, what are our core values? What is our context? What is our mission? What is our vision for what God would have us do and be in these days? And as I shared with you a few weeks ago about this process, I, I said to you, and I want to repeat this morning, there are many things we are yet to discover. And we need people who are open-minded, who don't already have all the answers. We need folks who are willing to learn and grow and discover together. And uh, we will discover that. But there is one thing that I would, would, would state emphatically at the outset. There is one thing of which I am sure. And that is that God's vision for us as a congregation, God's vision for us as individuals, is that we become those in whom the image of God is restored. That we become people who grow into the very ones that God made us to be. That as we encounter Christ, as we receive the grace of Christ, we are transformed by that grace. And step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, we become more the people that God wants us to be. And that is a core vision of what I see, and I believe that is what God sees for us. And that, of course, is affirmed in our baptism. And several weeks ago, we looked at the baptism of Jesus, and we saw there that in baptism, Jesus' identity was established. It was declared. It was fixed. As Jesus submitted to John in the waters of baptism, as he underwent a sacramental death and resurrection, which prepared him for actual death and actual resurrection, he heard the voice of God saying, You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. You are my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased, as Kathy pointed out this morning with the children. And in that, the Father was saying of Jesus, you are the Messiah of Israel, you are the Christ, and you will enter into your messianic reign by way of suffering and dying. That will be the mode, the means by which you will enter into your reign. And as Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, Mark tells us that immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And there he was for 40 days tempted by Satan. 
And the language in the Gospel of Mark is almost violent in the way that it describes how Jesus got there. The, the Greek word literally would be in, translated that the Spirit threw him into the wilderness. That there was an absolute necessity that he had to go to the wilderness. And that being in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan. So that Jesus had to live out the possibilities of his identity. He had to be the person that God had said he would be. Simply hearing it, even though it was the voice of God, was not enough. He had to actualize the potential that was his as the beloved Son of God. And in doing so, Jesus was faced with the struggle of making decisions. And Mark doesn't elaborate on the temptations. He simply says that he was there being tested by Satan. Matthew and Luke elaborate on those temptations. And if you come to that Bible study that I'm going to lead on Wednesday night, we're going to elaborate on the temptations. We're going to look at them in detail. But for now, it is enough to say that every one of those temptations that was offered was a temptation to become Messiah in some way other than suffering. Every one of the temptations was an alternative route to being Messiah. Jesus was tempted to be something other than what the Father said he should be. And in every case, he prevailed. In every case, he rebuked Satan with Scripture, and he remained true to who God said he would be. It is the same with us, sisters and brothers. Our identity, our destiny as people who belong to Christ is not something that exists apart from what we do. Not something that is separate from the actual living of our lives. Our salvation is not some legal formality that is accomplished by Christ at a distance and has no real effect on our essential attitude and actions. The grace that saves us is a spiritual energy. It is a life-changing force, a relationship with the living Christ who loves us into becoming the very ones God made us to be. And in that experience, there is of necessity a certain amount of testing. We do have choices. There are alternatives. And that testing comes. And the basic question is whether we will be true and become the very persons God has made us to be. Many years ago, John Wesley, who began the Methodist movement, preached a sermon on the designs of Satan. He called it the designs of Satan. He says, uh, quoting Paul, we're not ignorant of Satan's designs. We know what the devil's up to, Wesley said. And Wesley said that if Satan could convince us that full salvation is not possible and not necessary, then Satan will win. The devil would have us settle for a stillborn salvation, a salvation that never comes to fullness, a salvation that doesn't include the recovery of our spiritual birthright as persons made in the God's image. 
to attain the fullness of God's image, that is our destiny. That is holiness, to be made perfect in love. That is what we are made to do. That is who we are made to be. It is our destiny. It is our future. And we are saved to become people who grow into mature love for God and mature love for God's creation. That is who we are. That is holiness. And nothing less is acceptable. And the devil said, Wesley, would like to convince us that that's not so. That that's not really who we are. And that's not really our future or our destiny. And then Wesley said, if the devil cannot trip us up on this point, then he will surely try to trip us up on the next point. For if we hold fast to our baptismal identity as people who are destined to become like Jesus in our affections, in our actions, if we refuse to settle for anything less in our understanding of who we are, the devil will attack us by reminding us of how far short we fall of this which we profess. Satan would cast as much doubt as possible, questioning whether we really are Christians, given our poor showing. The accuser wants us to doubt that we will ever actually make it to the promised land of full salvation. Wesley said the adversary will try to rob us of our joy and our peace by reminding us that we are failing. Now, at this point, it's worth noticing that what is true for us as individuals is also true of us as a congregation. The church is not yet the church that God would have us be. We are a work in progress. And it's possible to become so critical about what we are not that we lose sight of the one who makes us what we are. And this is a test that we can only pass by faith. And here we need to be very honest with ourselves. The truth is that we cannot prevail by our own strength. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into the time of trial. The Lord's Prayer gives us permission and gives us all the room we need to acknowledge our limitations, to own our weaknesses and our fears. Whenever we say, lead us not into temptation, we are saying in effect, Lord, I am not Moses. I am not Mary or Miriam or Peter or Paul. I know myself. Lord, save me from a trial that is too much to bear. We are taught to pray that way, knowing our vulnerabilities. And then when the testing of our faith comes, as it must come, as it will come, 
Wesley said we are to fall again upon that grace that saves us in the first place. We rest in the reality that we are God's beloved sons and daughters. That in our baptism, God has declared it to be so. That is who we are. And yes, we fall short. But we give thanks that God has begun to do a good work in us, and we are confident that God will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, we trust God and not ourselves. We turn the devil's accusations against him. If the accuser points out our failings, we say, yes, we fail. You're right. So what? We're still loved. And by God's grace, we will do better. Failure is not final. We trust in the forgiveness of Christ. We trust in the power of Christ by which we will one day overcome all of it. So here's how Wesley said it. Daily growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, going from strength to strength in resignation and in patience, in humble thankfulness for what you have attained and what you shall attain, run the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, till through perfect love you enter into his glory. What a word of confidence. Many things stand out in that. I particularly like what Wesley said about patience. In patience. Patience with ourselves, sisters and brothers. I don't remember who it was who said this, but it's a, a person who was a singer. I do remember this. And her comment was, I'm not what I will be and I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Isn't that so? To be patient with ourselves, not indulgent, not lax, but patient. And to be patient with one another, to bear with one another, to respect one another, to love one another. It doesn't mean we don't make a difference. It doesn't mean we don't strive. It just means we don't give up when the results are not what we would have them be. We just keep making ourselves available over and over again abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is never in vain. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is our soul. This is our truest self as individuals and as a community and as a congregation. And this Lenten season...
we should have the boldness to face the worst about ourselves, but to do it not with self-condemnation, not with paralyzing shame. To do it with sorrow, yes. To face the worst about ourselves with honesty, but with mercy, with tenderness, with kindness toward ourselves and kindness toward one another. What a difference it would make. This is God's vision for us, and we are able to make that vision stick as we come back again and again and again and again and remind ourselves every day, this is who I am. And by God's good grace, I am going on to become the very one God made me to be. And it is true of us all. It is true of us all. And so we give thanks in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.